Good morning, folks. Welcome to another live stream on the Tim Moen Show. Let me just make sure that uh, Rumble is broadcasting. I'm kind of new to broadcasting on Rumble, so I don't know uh, how well it works. We'll see here. Hmm. I don't see anything broadcasting there. Maybe, maybe I still suck at Rumble. Oh, no, there it is. There it is. Okay, it's just delayed. I'm going to have to shut that off. I don't want to hear my echo. Um, guys, welcome. Part three. Uh, as you know, your boy here, if you've been watching my show or, or my consuming my podcast, um, for the last 60 days or so, I've been doing 75 hard, hard things, two-a-day workouts, sticking to a diet, no cheap meals, a gallon of water every day, no alcohol, reading 10 pages a day, which isn't that hard actually, but uh, it's a it's it's been 60 days of doing hard things, but none of them are as hard as what I'm about to do now, which is talk to a communist. We're going to talk to a communist and debate him. You're adding to my uh, 75. You know what, Billy Bob? Uh, nothing worthwhile is easy. Am I right? And I think you agree with me. And here we are doing hard things. Yeah, I had no idea you were doing this workout. That puts me to shame. Um, yeah. I'm lucky to get a little half workout in every couple, you know, twice a week or something. So, well, so that's, that's, awesome. that's, that's, that's that's something. 60, I mean, I, I I wasn't even doing that. <laughs> You're but, seven, uh, uh, 60 days into your 75-day regimen? Yeah, I think I'm on day 62 or something like that. So I'm on the home stretch. And I'll tell you, it wasn't – it's it's not – the hard part was I came home from working a night shift last night. I walk in the door. My wife had a uh, – hosted a Christmas party for a coworker. So I had all these corrections nurses over at uh, my house, and they – and, and my wife, if you know her, she is, she's a neat freak. Like she will not go to bed with the house messy at all. And, but I came in and it, there was stuff everywhere. There was plates of charcuterie and chips and all the stuff that are my triggers. Like <laughs> chips are, are like cracked to me. I, if I have one, that's it. I'm off the, off the rails. And so, um, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I had a handful of chips when I walked in, I couldn't help myself, but I punished myself with harder cardio. I almost thought about downing the whole bowl of chips and then just puking it up. I almost did the calculus wow. there thinking that might be worth it. Let's just say <laughs> I, I, I now understand better how people can become bulimic. I, yeah. I think I, I get it now. Um, but, uh, I don't know if I'm developing a healthier relationship with food in this whole process or not. It doesn't sound like it, but I mean, it certainly will be an accomplishment uh, after the, at the end of 75 days. I mean, to stick to it and say you did it. Um, it's, yeah, it doesn't sound easy. Uh, sounds like a tough commitment. But, I mean, it shows the kind of guy you are, Tim, that you can do that. Uh, so that's pretty yeah, okay. pretty respectable. Um, I'm going to try. Oh, we got a guy from France checking in. Thanks. Uh, right. I wonder what time it is over there. But uh, thanks for uh, putting some eyeballs on us, I guess. This was a last-minute uh minute uh podcast billy reached out to me yesterday uh we kind of planned to do something today but you know I'm, I'm in between night shifts so you never know we didn't have any fires last night so luckily your boy got uh got some shut eye on the taxpayer dime and uh thanks all you taxpayers out there for uh for uh subsidizing my sleep last night um but we were able to put this up and uh, do it with about 30 minutes notice so um I understand we probably won't get a huge number of eyeballs. We'll try to do this with more notification next time, I think. But uh, here we are again, Billy, Bob, on our third installment here. How, how do you think uh, things have been going so far? Have we been um, getting anywhere or have we been doing anything productive? You know, um, I have been 
enjoying the discussions with you. Um, my criticism and my angst is, you know, um, I'm not I'm not really sure we've gotten anywhere, but I don't know if it's fair right. to get anywhere after just, you know, two hour long discussions. But my criticism, I think, of our discussions is we're not really being systematic in our approach. Yeah. We're kind of just all over the place. Sure. And we're not getting down to exactly, you know, why we have, you know, how our ideology is different, um, whose ideology best, you know, corresponds with historic and contemporary reality, um, yeah. who, whose ideology is, 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 is um, more likely to result in progress and, um, <clears throat> you know, accomplishing sure. the things that we, we can definitely accomplish as, as a species if we want to. Um, so that was kind of my criticism. And I did yeah. send you a little, um, I kind yeah, of you sent me some questions. You, you've, you've actually, uh, you've got quite a bit of writing here. I mean, we could go through that maybe may a good place to start. Like you said, we've, we've kind of been all over the map here, uh, jumping from here to there. Um, maybe it would be good. Cause I still don't have a good understanding of what communism is, at least from your perspective. I think I have an idea what it is. I, I at least know um, what I've read about it or what I've heard about it, um, you know, but but I think it would be good to hear it from a guy who actually is like you, who describes himself as a communist. What exactly is communism? And how different that might be from your own understanding, you know? Sure. Um, but yeah, no, that's a big, um, it's a big question and it's, uh, you know, it's not an easy answer, but I mean, I can definitely try and explain it. I hope not to put everyone to sleep. Um, sure. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll interject and, and try to get clarification as you go. So, you know, ideology, what is ideology? Ideology is an understanding of our past in order to situate ourselves in the present um, and to help us to better understand where we want to go in the future. So, you know, it's like, it's like a roadmap kind of, um, I've heard that description, but um, that's basically the job of ideology and every, you know, there's a lot of different ideologies. There's a lot of different understandings. Um, you know, when I talk about ideology though, I'm thinking of, you know, I've as, never heard as, ideology described that way before, but uh, I'll go, I'll go with it for now. I, I, I'm not sure exactly how I describe ideology, maybe as a, a belief system that informs your actions. And certainly that would, yeah, the past would come into play on it, where you want to go. Um, you know, Ludwig von Mises described um, human action as, you know, the the steps you take in, in reality to achieve a future result, right? So, um, you know, if I'm building a house, for example, if, if in, in my mind, I, I have an idea of building a house, well, I, I might have a blueprint for that. I, I have to do certain things to make that happen. So, um, you know, I don't know if I just, I don't know if that is an ideology. Like if, if I'm going to build a house, I need to know, well, maybe what other people have done in the past to try to build shelter and, you know, I have to envision what I want in the future and then I have to engage in action. So the, my beliefs about, I guess, the past and the future, what you're saying um, would put in context and, and kind of describe my human action, what I'm, what I'm trying to do in the real world. <clears throat> yeah, here's a, here's um, a question just to put a pin in um, Billy Bob. If you're taking questions, can I ask Billy the communist position on Bitcoin and why? Maybe we can get to that in a bit. Um, Legion Derek, once we uh, 
understand a little bit more. I, 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 we could get sidetracked very easily here, like we have in the yeah. past conversations. Um, yeah, no, that's an interesting one. I'm not too excited about you know cryptocurrencies, but uh, yeah, because I think in the, I, I think in the goal. first thing you sent me, you know, you said the ultimate ideal of communism or goal is uh, a classless, cashless, borderless, stateless society. So Bitcoin kind of fits into the cash thing there. So I could see why you might be not not thrilled yeah. about Bitcoin because. But I mean, we'll get into that. I, I want to know yeah. why. Why do you want like all that stuff? So maybe just continue. So, so you're talking about ideology. Yeah. So it's it's a way of understanding um, and and interpreting history um, in order to understand, you know, what is going on right now, and then knowing, you know, what we where we want to be, and that'll help us figure out how to get there. So I mean, to me, hmm. um, that's. That's my best way to explain ideology. And so communism is specific. It says specific things about the past and it says specific things about the present. And it has a specific objective to achieve in the future. And because of that, um, you know, it, you know, certain things are necessary. Like you said, like with your blueprint for the house, certain steps are necessary. Um, and, and that's why ideology is important because the wrong ideology is not going to lead to where you want to go. Um, right. But to get specific. And so already, already Billy Bob, some of the, the resistance I'm feeling in my mind is okay. There's, there's this kind of master plan. And if I don't fit into that master plan, well, I'm collateral damage, right? Like my ancestors were in Stalinist Russia, for example, you know, kind of railroading over top of them was necessary for the greater good or the, the plan. That's where my mind's going. Correct me if I'm wrong, yeah, but it's that. And, and so that's, that's really a good, um, that's a good microcosm of, of the kind of thing that we're discussing and, and the kinds of things that make me as a communist, not see libertarianism as a progressive ideology, as an ideology that's capable of, of, of overcoming what we need to overcome in order to progress to the future. No, so, is that because we're not willing to infringe on the individual? Well, yes. <laughs> okay. So, so I mean, and, and that's you know that goes back to ideology. So, for instance, so we've we've talked about the the historical progression, and we've kind of had agreement that um, the historical progression from um, feudalism to capitalism was definitely a, a progress, and. You know, yeah, there was we, we might we might disagree on why that was progress, though, right? Like you might agree it was progress because I don't know we achieved more abundance or something like that. Whereas I would see it as progress because we achieved more individual rights. Like we stepped into the realm where individuals could now be property owners, and it wasn't just uh, fiat. You know, I plant a flag and then I hand out title to lords based on my on my divine right from god or something like that right well yeah so when i talk about progress i mean I, i'm just talking about really quality of life you know for human for, for human beings so that includes you know life expectancies increasing technology advancing um access to you know access to material goods so i mean you know basic quality of life so i mean and and, and you know we had agreement that feudalism was um you know, a, a, a condition that could have been improved upon and capitalism definitely improved upon that position. But, um, you know, I, I imagine if 
I was a capitalist and I was talking to Tim Moen, the feudalist, um, you could have, you know, complained that capitalism, you know, threw my my family off their estate. And that wasn't fair. And I don't like capitalism. Sure. I oppose capitalism because it didn't it didn't honor my 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 family's, you know, estate that we'd owned. And and it really wrecked things, you know, or, you know, a slave owner. You could say the same thing about a slave owner, you know. Sure. So there was a there was a the French Revolution was overthrew the French monarchy and instituted um, the beginnings of capital, you know, capitalism. Well, maybe we should pause on that and, and point point out that um, that, yes, people are self-interested. And so they tend to um, uh, ex post facto justify um, what benefits them um using whatever sophistry they can right and so they'll, they'll come up with good arguments to explain why we can't change them we of course we see that now people in the oligopoly right politicians and um, corporate masters that are close to politicians certainly don't want much of a change in the status quo if anything they want to entrench their power and wealth even more by oppressing us and yeah. so they'll describe how uh, this pandemic is going to kill us or how terrorism is a huge threat or how uh, global climate catastrophe is on on the verge of happening. Therefore, cede all your power to us and uh, fall more in line with the greater good type thing. But uh, I, I, um, uh, I, and and so to me, the reason we need to have um, a rational belief system is specifically to counteract that right otherwise how do we know that our belief system isn't just rooted in um self-interest at the expense of others or something that be fair um i mean i'm not going to have any problem with what you just said um i mean it is important i mean i'm just not sure what you're implying really but i mean i agree with what was said i mean you know having a belief system to know um you know to have um, discernment regarding any political movement is important. Um, but, you know, um, so I, I'm talking about, you know, my, my ideology of communism and how we see the past. And, um, and then, so, and I understand that libertarianism has its own belief system grounded in certain principles. Um, but it's kind of, you know, it's outside, it doesn't incorporate, you know, the, the worldview of, you know, communism and so yeah. um so what you said i have no problem with i'm just not sure yeah. how i, I, I guess I, i'm just looking like yeah. libertarians look at the past and the present and think about the future as well right and and yeah. we but we analyze it through probably different lens than you do right we we look at okay how much um how, how much was a system violating uh individual rights or individual how much was it violating the individual in the past and how much is it doing so now and how can we get to a future where less of that is happening and you probably look at it through a bit of a different lens like the individual is is maybe lower on the on the uh, you know triage list than something else so I, I guess getting to those higher values is what i'm interested in doing like what yeah, is i mean it, it's two different you know, two different perspectives in a sense. So again, if, if, um, you know, if the libertarians keep saying, and you, you do keep saying, you know, the individual, the individual, well, then I, I, I ask, so, so the capitalists should have just surrendered to the feudalists 
and allowed feudalism to continue in perpetuity because we cannot, you know, the, the, in, the rights, the property rights of the individual is sacrosanct, and we had no right to overthrow the monarchy. So, I mean, that's that's what I'm hearing when I mm. hear you constantly going back to, you know, it's the individual rights, their right to their person, their property. And I'm saying there's other considerations, given the contextual reality, that that often supersede the individual rights. And I think that's obvious. And I think that's missed on libertarians because, um, you know, they, they, they're hyper. And what are those on, what are those things, I guess, is what it what? Okay. We could either advance from feudalism to capitalism or we can violate some individual rights, you know, violate individual rights, uh, uh, transition from feudalism to capitalism, or we can stay in feudalism. So you could stay in feudalism. uh, But but we're not violating individual rights by transitioning, though. We're we're recognizing it, right? That that, that would be my take on that. I mean, say that again. I missed it. I'm. The, the the transition from feudalism to capitalism wasn't trampling on individual rights. It was recognizing it. It was recognizing that, hey, everyone has a right to own property, not just uh, feudal lords. And and so, um, you know, you, you, we could talk about how we get there, uh, whether well, that's through violent revolution or not. But I don't think well, you're, you're violating rights if you don't own property and you're yeah. essentially enslaving people or... Um, uh, what would you call enclosing them or something like that, then, you know, that, that is aggressing against them. So this is recognizing now, obviously I'd prefer to get there in a peaceful way with feudal lords, you know, could, um, what do you call it? What's the opposite of an X, uh, whatever they, they can, um, you know, give out the land or they can sell the land, or at least they can allow, the peasants to start owning land and recognize the property rights and what they're homesteading instead of saying, no, I own this because the King told me I own this because God told him he has the power to tell me I own this. We're we're getting away from that now into more. Definitely. um, You know, feudal, (laughs) there was, you know, personal rights, personal property was not respected during the capitalist revolution. So there was, there was victims, um, you know, the, the monarchy, you know, the church, well, not so much the church, but more so the monarchy um, was definitely, you know, trampled on. And so, but let me, let me go ahead and just continue and progressing sure. my uh, getting us to the present time. But, but I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but it, it's kind of not really addressing the point. Uh, um, so, you know, you know, I'm saying uh, the, 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 mon- the monarchies, um, were were not respected. They, you know, it's a revolution. It was a violent revolution. There was the, you know, there was yeah. coercion. There was authoritarian use of force against the monarchy to overthrow that system and to mm-hmm. implement a different kind of system, which was better. Um, yes. But the property rights and the and the and the rights to not be aggressed against. But Billy Bob, none of that goes against libertarianism, though, right? Okay. You understand that. No. Okay. So no, that's, that's what I, I mean. I definitely want to not, you know, tell you what you think I want. Yeah. Yeah. You to tell me. So I, I appreciate that. Um, but as we, as we move forward on our timeline, um, I mean, you know, my, my assertion is that that paradigm continues to play itself out over history. So, you know, cap feudalism gave way to capitalism in a violent, bloody revolution. Sure. And, and we've seen about 100 years ago where capitalism 
started get, giving way to socialism, you know, via revolution. And why is it a via? Why is it always a revolution? Is it because capitalism is violent? No. Is it because socialism is violent? No. It's because the, the entrenched powers that are the primary beneficiaries of the status quo do not want to allow the system to progress because that progression is going to mean less for them and more for the majority. So it's all about democracy, right. about the best interests of the masses, and it's about progressing from one system to a better system and then from this system to a better system. And it's always the same thing because within that system, you have people that benefit from the status quo, resist change, shoot JFK, assassinate our president because he was doing change, you know, he was going to change things in a way. So, um, you know, I just I just threw that out there for. for OK, for but, but some would some some yeah. violent uh, revolution or violent uh, action you would judge as immoral, though, correct? Like how so, would how would you judge what whether a violent action was moral or immoral? I mean, okay. Uh, to me, it's obvious. I mean, you have to look at the context. You can't right. you can't do it without understanding the context and making an individual rational assessment. And libertarian, okay. but, but by by what good. by what standards do you make that assessment, or by what um, guidelines, or like how how would you go about judging? an act is it yeah i mean and, and if 100 years in the future you got bullet. and and libertarianism pretends there's a silver bullet to doing that and there's not and i think that's liberalism in a nutshell it's it's this pre pretense that there's some kind of a universal ethic that is can be applied everywhere at every time and you can figure out what's right or wrong by applying this ethic and it's just it's, right. it's well really you, you can wrong. you can you can say what's wrong you might not be able to say what's right but you can get pretty close to saying what's wrong right um i mean violence to protect the individual is justifiable but violence to impose on the individual isn't really well you i know? mean i can give you a scenario where it's the right okay. thing to do you okay. know so so and we have the the first episode we talked about you know if there's a man drowning in in a lake and a guy with a life you know, a life preserver set, you know, refuses to throw it um, because it's his property and he doesn't he doesn't give a fuck about that guy. That's not right. So. Right. so but, but is it but Billy Bob? That's not what we're talking about. We're adding a third party in here and we're saying I'm the moral arbiter of this. And I, if you don't throw that life preserver out there, I'm going to shoot you in the head and I will throw it out there. And you're and, and so the claim here, the extraordinary moral claim that I'm criticizing, that libertarians criticize is that is the third party saying we i will shoot you in the head to <laughs> make sure this guy uh gets that life preserver okay well i i would add to that um illustration and i would just say i mean to make that illustration more more accurate i would say you're going to shoot the one guy in the head to save a thousand people so let's say mm. that's that's going to be my new thing and i'm gonna you know it's a cost benefit analysis do i let a thousand people die or do we sacrifice? So, so again, but you're, you're, but here's here's the context though, and yeah. and like you said, context matters. So, is it that um, that individual put those thousand people in harm's way, and you're killing them to, so that they're not in harm's way, or did those thousand people put themselves in harm's way, and you're going to kill that individual to save the, that thousand people? I think those are two very different contexts, right? Yeah, and I mean that's to me that's going a bit far with the analogy. I'm not sure, you know. Well, I don't, um, I don't think it is, but I think that's where our fundamental uh, okay. disagreement might be, right? Because um, 
you know, you might say, for example, my ancestors, you know, hacking uh, a farm out of the Siberian wilderness and, and bringing it to the point of flourishing and, um, you know, that, that they were somehow standing in the way of progress and therefore had to go. Um, that's a very different thing than my ancestors were enslaving people on this farm and they had to go, right? In one case, you're saying, well, that farm has to go to, to industrialize farming so that more people can flourish. And in another sand, you're saying, I'm, I'm saving a thousand people that they have enslaved uh, on their farm to set those people free. I would say one is moral, one is immoral. Yeah. And, and what I would say, I mean, if we're going to talk about the actual historical context, I would say that it was the typical situation where you have a minority of, of you know, um, well-off people who, you know, are happy with a system that is broken because they are beneficiaries of that system. And, and they resist, they violently resist um, um, improvement to that system because improvement necessitates that they will no longer have their position of privilege. And so, and so that's what we see throughout history. That's what happened with the capitalist revolution with feudal, overthrowing the feudalist system. We came into a better, a better place. And so it's the same thing in Russia. Like with the czar was overthrown, he was like a feudalist, um, um, hereditary monarchy kind of thing. Um, Russia was backwards. It was underdeveloped. It was illiterate. It had no electricity and it had a very inadequate, um, you know, um, um, uh, farming system, a very inadequate agricultural system to produce food for the population. And it was just replete with cyclical famines over and over and over again. And so any responsible government of the people that comes to power is responsible to fix that. So when they tried to work with the wealthy landowners who controlled the food, you know, manufacturing part of the part of the state, they absolutely refused to negotiate or refused to relinquish their special domain. And they, they instead they chose to go to war with the state and they, you know, a lot right. of them. But, well, my ancestors didn't go to war with the state. They were, they were pacifists and they right. gave, they were very charitable. They gave and gave and they, they were actually happy to give, <laughs> but they got to a point where they were starving because they were taking so much and um, they simply couldn't, produce enough and so they you know and, and they're like said their uh rest of their family got put into work camps where they died they fled barely made it out with their lives so they it wasn't like they were resisting anything i mean they were giving to the point where you know there's nothing left to give but their life and i think that was a story for a lot of people then um you know there, there was a lot of innocent people that were caught up in um you know uh, i guess not well, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they, these were people that were even trying to go along with it. I mean, my my great grandfather even wrote that um, it seemed like a great idea at the time to each according to their need from each according to their ability. It kind of fall fell in line with his Christian ethic of sharing because they were very, you know, believed in sharing. And um, but th there there could never be enough sharing to satisfy um, the ruling class. And well, there wasn't so enough food being produced, so people were starving and dying. Right. Yeah. That's the re that was the situation, and that was the situation that the government was doing their best to try and fix. So, I mean, you know, Tim, I don't, 
really, I mean, I, I, I have empathy for you and I can't speak to what specifically happened to them. I, I'm speaking generally of my understanding of the historical situation at that time. And like, I do not want to disparage or tell you that your sure. grandparents. No, had, and, and, and uh, I, I, I get that. I'm, I'm you know, uh, I, I'm just trying to get at, at uh, try, trying to understand, I guess, um, how you make these these um, moral calculations between what's right and wrong, and um, you know, I, I I think the I, I like to look at concrete um, kind of examples at, at a kind of more high fidelity level, right? Like it's one thing to talk, you know, they say it's one thing to talk about um, the nations if it's a a thing that isn't just a bunch of individuals and think that, well, the nation had this route to go and therefore, you know, the individuals, I guess, uh, are, I don't know, meaningless. You make some kind of calculation about, um, you know, the ruling elite and, and they're calculating how many people can survive, uh, how many, you know, how much collateral damage is acceptable to ensure the greater good. And I just don't know how you make the, those calculations rationally or how you can predict, you know? Yeah. With and, and so, and again, I think, you know, you're struggling to, you really want to come up with a, a system that you don't have to think about that you can just apply where there's no, there's no room for disagreement. If you apply this system, that's the answer. And I, and I, think well, I, I, I'm not looking for a system. I, you know, I, I don't know what, what it would look like if you abolish slavery, how cotton's going to get picked. Like I said, I don't know what that system of farming looks like in the absence of slavery. I just know that you, you shouldn't enslave people, right. And, and you shouldn't, um, hurt people or take their stuff either. And, um, you know, the stuff that's justly, um, Owned. But but again, so you're going back to this universal principle, and if you apply that universal principle to feudalism, we would never move past feudalism because we wouldn't take the stuff of the feudalists. No, I'm, I'm applying that universal. No, I'm I'm applying that to feudalism and saying yes, it was justified. It was justified because those people were aggressing, right? The king was aggressing against his subjects, against the people, and um, you know the, the people were defending themselves from that force from that violence from that imposition and and so that kind of violence is justified because it's okay. defensive and so, so that's more the, sympathetic to the wealthy landowners who refuse to allow an inadequate agricultural system to be improved upon and ended up burning their crops and their livestock and and causing you know making 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 a famine a lot worse than it would otherwise have been and and refusing to allow the revolutionary government that you know the people supported in overthrowing the czarist system and brought to power to do just that to 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 start running the 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 country you know for the benefit of the masses instead of the benefit of the wealthy elite so the um you know the allegations against the rich yeah. wealthy landowners that grew all the food was that they would get fat off famine they they liked famine because guess what that made their commodities more expensive and they made more money. So they were, they were accused of getting fat off of famine and that had just gone on for a long time. And so the government that came to power said, we're not going to do that. We need to improve the system. And ultimately it's unfortunate that the rich landowners weren't okay with 
you know, accommodating them or coming to some agreement. Um, just like the feudalists refused to come to some agreement, they had to be overthrown. They violently re resisted. So we have the same thing right now today. We have a ruling establishment that does not want to start telling the truth, doesn't want to start yeah. using the media to be honest. It's continuing and perpetuating its lies and its violent you know, authoritarian empire around the world with 800 military bases because it doesn't want to you know, give up its power and allow a better, more, um, you know, more humane, um, a better system that's going to be more, it's going to more better, more better, going to facilitate <laughs> human, human flourishing in a better way. So, I mean, okay. This so is a, I, you, you well won't, you won't find any di disagreement, I think yeah. with, with, um, my audience or me, when you yeah. look at the current state of affairs and you see, um, that there's there's a ruling class, right? There's a ruling elite, and this is made up of politicians, and um, you know, uh, to a large part, uh, corporations, uh, multinational corporations that are close to those political interests, and and we see that that's um, resulting in oppression, it lo loss of freedom, loss of uh, flourishing and abundance that would otherwise occur if that weren't the case. Uh, so what is the, the communist solution, I guess, to this? Well, you know, and so fortunately we have history as, as a guide. Um, again, you know, feudalism gave way to capitalism, which was, which was progress. It was, it was better for humanity. Uh, capitalism allowed a lot of development, a lot of great things that weren't, weren't possible under feudalism. I believe in the same way socialism, you know, is, 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 a superior and it's a it's a progress from capitalism because to me capitalism is when the wealthy people it's not hereditary monarchies but it's a coalition of wealthy people the, the ownership right. class so they're the ones that are the ruling class in the west and so now um, it, would, would yeah. it, are, what you're describing to me sounds like corporatists you know i would distinguish corporatism from capitalism yes. do you do you see a distinction between the two or are they one and the same so, I mean, of course, I've engaged in this paradigm innumerably. Sure. And I mean, to me, it's it's kind of silly because corporatism is only capitalism, how it's always existed. It probably always will exist. Right. It probably always so, can so, exist. So capitalism Unless, requires state state power, I guess, to entrench those uh, monopolies, essentially. Yeah. I mean, capitalism can't exist without a state because there's inequalities and you have to have a state to protect property rights, to enforce contracts. I would say to help build infrastructure and, you know, even defining property, but laws, a system of laws and law enforcement has to exist or capitalism doesn't exist. And capitalism gives way to the, um, you know, the rule, the law of the jungle, the rule, the rule of the powerful. And that's it. And so, of course, capitalism kind of is that because it's the wealthy and powerful that are ruling. It's better than feudalism, but it's still there's room for progress. Um, but no, I appreciate that you see it as corporatism. And again, when I engage with that paradigm with libertarians, I say that um, I've never seen actual the capitalism you describe. I've never seen, um, I, you know, so I just yeah. call corporatism capitalism. Um, gotcha. But. As for what we want to advocate for, I think we've seen, I've seen progress. So um, it was only about a hundred years ago that we had the first, you know, socialist experiments and we had the people overthrowing, you know, the ruling class and implementing socialism. 
So, and I, I would argue that, you know, people in the West have been lied to about that legacy, about what happened, about, you know, um, really everything. And I, I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's objectively true that the Cold War and, um, you know, the, the death tolls um, and things like that were, you know, we know now we're exaggerated, exaggerated by a factor of 20. Um, and also there's the context. But, but what I would say is, you know, socialism isn't about violence. It's not about, you know, coercion or authoritarianism. It's about improving society so that the masses can, um, you know, uh, increase their quality of life. We have more opportunities and we're able to achieve things that that capitalism just constrains us and keeps us from ever hoping to achieve because, you know, it's just wealthy people pursuing profit and they're not actually trying to do anything other than that. Profit comes first. Um I'm kind of uh, all over. Yeah, no, okay, you know, no, I, I think we're hitting on something, and, and I think that, um, you know, again, I, I I would describe. So, so let me give you an example of, you know, maybe a distinction I would make between capitalism and corporatism. So, in Canada, uh, before cannabis was legalized, we had kind of a gray market in cannabis in, in the lower West Coast, where. Um, the, the local government said, we're not going to prosecute growers. We're not going to prosecute, uh, you know, distributors and, and dispensers of cannabis. And so what you saw was a, a vibrant kind of economy of mom and pop shops, some of them smaller, some of them bigger, some were getting to near industrial size operations. Um, but then in the, it, when cannabis was legalized, um, what we saw was corporatism because uh, Health Canada had to issue the license. So they cracked down on all these mom and pop shops. They said, you cannot grow cannabis. Um, they, I think there was a white paper that came out that said only, the government will only issue something like 42 licenses. And of course, those went to uh, Trudeau, guys like Trudeau's um, CAO of his election campaign, people that were connected to government and could afford to spend, you know, the millions of dollars in, to overcome regulatory hurdles. Um, those were the ones that got the license to grow cannabis and everyone else was put out of business. So to me, capitalism is just letting people do their thing, grow their, grow their plants and sell them and scale up as they could afford to how they wanted. Corporatism was what we have now. Um, and I guess socialism would be, um, uh, what would be workers owning the means of production, right? So I guess that that these mom and pop shops that started their grows in a socialist environment, they would have to hand over control to the people that they had employed or something. And so, that's the progressor. So, am I, so, am I, I mean, misunderstanding? What I see in your explanation is that, you know, certain fundamental um, realities and context are, are not nowhere to be seen within your within your um, explanation or within your question. So the okay. reality is that in the West, you know, we're a government of by and for the wealthy elites. And so within that, underneath that government, within that framework, some things happen temporarily that are good. So you described how temporarily there was a system where it was more um, grassroots, it was less regulated, and people all over the place were allowed temporarily to... Um, to you know, grow and sell their cannabis in, in, a, in a 
relatively unregulated market and you like that. So, I mean, I get that. You're asking me about socialism. Well, socialism is the overthrow of this ruling establishment and the implementation of a government that is of, by, and for the people. And I think there's historical precedents where that has happened. And that's going to be a very contentious discussion because, you know, you, right. you've been, I would say, indoctrinated to oppose those governments that I would say are doing the, the right thing by their people and are, and are good governments that we, we ought to not necessarily emulate. But again, um, and how I, do how do you get because uh, I, I get this from the people's there's a people's party in Canada. Uh, populists that believe the same thing that government ought to be of for and by the people and serve the people um but i i always have trouble wrapping my mind or now that they would probably have stark disagreement with you they're like a right-wing populist party that use the same terminology but i think you have probably vastly different ideas of what the government should do for the people um how how do you know governments by the people and how do you know it's for the people like what metrics do you use how do you figure out this is what people want and that sort of thing so i mean it's the same same thing i mean libertarians want to you know identify and grab hold of the non-existent silver bullet that's going to make that clear and and there's just not you have to look at every case you have to look at the context you have to make a rational decision i mean that's it there's no there's no silver bullet there's not going to be and we, you know, we ought to stop pretending there is. So what I'm saying yeah. is, well, and just to be clear, Billy Bob, I, I think yeah. I, I thought I made it clear in the last one. I don't think there's a silver bullet either. I think that there's just moving in the right direction. And yeah. well, so the implication so, kind of, I, I kind of heard the implication in the question was that, you know, there, there is a way and what's your way. And I'm saying there isn't a way, but, but basically, hmm. you know, uh, there was a lot of socialist revolutions. So there was, revolutionary leaders that talked about what I'm talking about, that talked about the ruling class wanting to maintain a system that is not beneficial to the vast majority. It's only beneficial to them and the ruling class's resistance to change. Yeah. So that was the that was the language of Lenin. That was the language of Stalin. That was the language of Mao. So so they yeah. got people rallied to rally to their cause. I think it was the language of Hitler and Mussolini no, as well. No, <laughs> no? Not, not, not even close, Tim. That's, well, that's I'm not pretty even sure. true at all. That's not even close <laughs> to true. So Let's Hitler's see. language was, we're the Aryans and we're better than the Jews. We're better than the blacks. We're going to create a living space. We're going to take over the Slavs because they're subhuman. We're going to get living space for us. And that's what they did. So, so Tim, that's it's important. It's a okay. very important distinction. That is not at all what Hitler said. So, I mean, you got to appreciate that. It's totally well, different. But, that's, but that's, what every, that's what every ruler says. I mean, they, they say they're doing this for the people. They're saying they're they're against the ruling elite. Um, that's certainly what the right-wing populist party preaches well, right? That they're against the ruling elite. And they, and, I mean, and we're against them too. I mean, libertarians don't want the ruling elite either. Yeah. Um, you know, well, the, I guess well, now, the, now the devil's kind of in the details. Now, now your implication is nihilism. Your implication of what you just said is that we can't know. We just can't know. And what I'm saying is we have to use our judgment. We have to use our discernment. We have to evaluate both arguments. We have to evaluate what they're actually doing. And when I do that, I'm a Marxist-Leninist because I see what Lenin did made sense. I see what Stalin did was great for the people of the Soviet Union. It was great for humanity. And then what I saw what Mao did in China, what Xi is doing now in China is, you know, tremendous. And I, I say, thank God that China is demonstrating 
what a government of, by, and for the people. So that's very controversial. I understand mm. most listeners have been. Yeah, you know, I would. I would say that's pretty controversial. I mean, but, I, 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 we'd probably have to spend uh, six hours untangling all that because uh, you know, I guess from your perspective, I've been propagandized in a very different uh, version of <laughs> of you know goodness <laughs> in those countries. Um, right. but, 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 um, okay, let's for the, mar for the moment say that, that you're correct, that, um, that these strong men were needed to, you know, uh, do reforms and those reforms involved, you know, necessarily killing millions of people, uh, to, for the greater good. Oh. Is it, it, <laughs> so, I mean, you can you can explain the indoctrination that I was subject subjected to and that we've all been subjected to. And I mean, I, I, I get that. But of course, I have a different opinion. So I think, you know, there's I have a I have a defense of my position and I understand the establishment position that's been shoved down all of our throats regarding, you know, communism, regarding uh, Soviet Union and China. And again, when I actually investigated it, you know, I found out that I was being lied to. Uh, and I, hmm. I found out everything I've really been taught in school <laughs> turns out to be a, a, a lie when I actually research and find out, you know, exactly what happened. And so that's why I have the beliefs I do. But I mean, I can tell you very quickly. I mean, you know, Mao came to power in 1949. He left in about 1973, 74, 75, 76. He died. Maybe it was 76 that he died. Um, but so over that time frame, the, the life expectancy had almost doubled. It started at 35. It ended around a little bit less than 70. So the life expectancy doubled. The population doubled. And, you know, the, the amount of food that was produced in China, like, doubled. So, um, you know, I, I would make the case that no one in all of recorded history has done more good for more people than Mao. And how is he known in wow. the West? In the West, he's known as the greatest mass murderer of all time. So these things are yeah. two distinct opposites. It's yeah, very... And I think, I right. think the facts prove that I am correct because... Um, he, he wasn't a mass murderer. He didn't kill millions of people. He actually, population doubled. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. You know what I'm saying? The population doubled while Mao was in charge. The life expectancy doubled while Mao was, the amount of food they produced in China doubled while Mao was in charge. Right. So, so, you know, so you're, be, I, I think you're being lied to. And I think okay. people are embracing these lies because they don't know any better and everybody believes the lies. So there's no, um, you know, there's no, there's no. Uh, there's no pushback to these lies. Everybody just accepts them as true and doesn't even think to question them. But explain to me how what I just described is objective facts. That same man could be considered the greatest mass murderer of all time. I'll tell you how through dishonest right. demographic statistical manipulation by dishonest. Well, or or I, I mean, you know, I, the, the population doubled. Um, it could have doubled even if he killed um, millions of people, right? Um, yeah, it might have been higher had he not killed them. We don't know that. Um, so again, but the, the success, but, but you're saying he didn't even kill a bunch of people. Why would Mao? Why would he kill somebody? So again, I'm telling you, Mao was fighting, you know, on behalf of the people to overcome a system that was not in the benefit of the people, right? He, he, was, he had a civil war with Chiang Kai-shek who was backed by the United States and he defeated Chiang, forced him to flee to Taiwan and he, he implemented a government of, born, of, by and for the Chinese people and Chiang Kai-shek was gonna implement a capitalist system that was um, an ally, a lapdog of Western imperialism. 
just like we have in a lot of countries right now, we have a lot of, you know, um, governments in place that do what we say to the detriment of their own population. Like that's that's imperialism. So so that's what the U.S. wanted in China. And that's why we fought against Mao and, and, and tried to support Chiang. But he lost. And so fortunately, um, we have this we have this best example of socialism in action where it came to power. It overcame the, um, you know, the attempts of imperialism and capitalism to dominate the country and the government. It overcame that, implemented a government of by and for the people. And the success has been, um, you know, impossible to overstate. Like if you if you have any idea how successful now, and how my, China my understanding of china now is that they they implemented quite a few capitalist reforms is that wrong or like oh, in what way in, in what way is it socialist well in the way that i just described so what is socialism right it's it's defeating a government of by and for the wealthy elite it's putting in a government of by and for the people and it's implementing policies based on what's in the best interest of the vast majority instead of what's in the best interest of the wealthy elite. So that's socialism. And so under socialism, once you have political power in control, you know, political power in the hands of a party that is legitimately interested in furthering the interests of the people, as opposed to a wealthy elite, you can implement, um, you know, policies that benefit the people. So um, Mao, I can read you a quote from Mao in 1949, where he says, we need capitalism. We're, we're worse than feudalism. We're below feudalism. We have to do capitalism long before we can, you know, um, what's that word? Um, you know, um, you know, run, run the means of production with the workers. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So we need, we need a long time of capitalist development to develop productive forces to, um, you know, to, to build our economy. And then maybe in the future we could advance to a more, you know, fundamental socialist, like where where we don't have private owners of but but capitalism is a necessary right. step you can't jump from feudalism to socialism okay. capitalism is a necessary between so well, in 1949 it, it's yeah. right right okay gotcha so so um capitalism is is a necessary stage to get to full socialism but you still described um what is happening in china now as socialism because it's of by and for the people that be fair. Well, how how do you know if the government is of by and for the people? Like, how do you how do you determine that? Like, how, well, is our government of by and for the people? What, oh, what are okay. the results of their policies? Right. So, what would a policy be that makes it by for the people or something like that? What would be an example? Um. So, I mean, I would say investment in. Things that benefits people's lives, you know, jobs, infrastructure, infrastructure, healthcare, education, um, making sure that you know their 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 needs are being met and that you know they have a good quality of life. You know, it, uh, increasing quality of life for, for the vast majority. So you know, to, to, but isn't to that happening in Western countries as well that aren't expressly socialist? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad you asked. Um, so, you know, the West is an imperialist, um, you know, project. So you've got NATO, you've got the U.S. was really the dominant power after World War II. And the Cold War essentially was the U.S. waging war all around the developing world in order to put in governments to allow us to exploit those resources and markets. So that's what the capitalists want to do. That's what the imperialists want to do in the West is, you know, enrich themselves, dominate the planet and exploit whoever they want to exploit. So, um, so yeah, 
So it's true that uh, citizens like you and me in these imperial core countries have a pretty good standard of living relative to, say, Haiti, relative to, say, um, you know, Guatemala or, or Indonesia. You know, so, so they want to keep us governable. They want to keep us placated. They want to keep us distracted, confused, and out, out of their business while they're doing the business of empire and exploiting these right. countries. So the problem, the problem I have is what? not that my quality of life isn't good, because if they offered my quality of life to everybody on the planet, I would be the biggest supporter of capitalism. You understand? Okay. But that's not my, my quality of life comes at the expense of the third world, the developing countries uh, that, that don't have access to the, the goods that I have. And so I understand right. I'm being bribed. What, what do you, I'm what do you make out of, um, what do you make of the argument? Uh, I can't, I think Steven Pinker's made this and a few other people that, um, international free trade and division of labor, uh, capitalism, uh, as I might describe it has increased the standard of living, brought over a billion people above the poverty line in the last 10 years or something like that like a, a, it, there's been a period of human flourishing i'm unprecedented because of that and and so yes you look at sweatshops in some of these developing nations and maybe even child labor and you say well this is horrific compared to us for sure but uh compared to what where they were it's an improvement it's better to be a child worker in a factory than a child prostitute, for example. And these people are choosing to work there rather than live their, um, I guess, subsistence dawn till dusk, working, just trying to scrape survival out of the wilderness type living. What do you, what do you make of that? So, I mean, you're asserting that number one, there's a free market. And I don't think that's true. I don't think what we I'm have- I'm not asserting there's a free market, but I'm asserting that there's trade happening and um, opportunities result from that and division of labor, right? But- No, trade is definitely Adam good. Smith. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm all, you know, socialism is an anti-trade. So, so I, I'm not sure, okay. you know, I agree um, trade is beneficial. Um, you know, the US currently has, you know, sanctions and embargoes, economic sanctions to try and force the political capitulation of like 40 different governments currently. So they're, they're really not about freedom. I mean, they, they, they sell it like that. And then, so the other assertion is that, you know, the ruling class is implementing these policies to better the third world, to better the poor. Well, I'm not asserting that, but uh, I'm, I, well, it's I, kind I, of implied. It's kind of, look, well, look at what yeah. your system is doing and it's good. Yeah. And I'm saying, no, it's not. Number one, it's not free trade. Number two, sure, it's, it's managed it, trade. It might It'd be, be better if it was free. Good, but some countries are regressing. I mean, sub-Saharan Africa, you know, has gotten worse. I mean, what we did in Libya made it worse. What we did in Afghanistan made it worse. So okay. um, I, I don't we go see to, when I when I look around to, the planet. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just want I want to get some of the the audience here. They've been waiting with some comments for a while. Here's a question. Let me, let from, me just make the last point I wanted to make. Sure. Was, when I see where the most progress has been made for the, the fastest, most efficient increase in quality of life, it's China. Hands down, it's China, both by magnitude, right. number of people, and the, and the, and the rapid um, um, development and the most efficient improvement in quality of life. So, yeah. so they and, are number and, one by a long shot. Right. And, and guess what? They also happen to be a communist government that does not have the West trying to um, 
keep their boot on them, economically speaking, because in 1973, they ended the embargo. They ended the sanctions against China and allowed China to deal freely with the with the world. And look what they've done. Look what a government yeah. up by the four of the people have has accomplished. Well, look, look what a capitalist reforms have done. Right. I mean, they, they've uh, taken the shackles off the market there. And look, what, look at all the flourishing that's happening. And they've created a, a place where uh, U.S. corporations can manufacture goods for cheaply because um, they don't have the same regulatory hurdles that but why uh, they did face they do it producing more efficiently things. than any other country. Because they're, they're definitely not the only country that did capitalist reforms. No, I, and I would say that um, I mean a century of regulation in the U.S. has whittled away the manufacturing class. But let's let's get to some uh, questions well, here. I, I do want to address your point because I mean you 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 made the assertion that you know it was due to these capitalist reforms, and I'm saying the capitalist reforms obviously helped, and that's why the communist government agreed to do them because it was best for the people. But there's a lot of right. non-communist governments that don't care about the people that do capitalist reforms. And the people don't benefit. So it's not capitalist reforms that's the that's the that's the variable here. The variable is that it's a communist government of for and by the people. There are a lot of governments did capitalist reforms, but they're capitalist governments, they're crony governments, they're like um, you know, poodles of the West, and just in it to enrich themselves and extract wealth from their people to Western corporations. And that's why the capitalist reforms in those countries haven't worked nearly as good as they've worked in China. But I'm sorry, Tim, I just had to say that. So let's 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 yeah, definitely yeah, okay. get to these um Okay. Um, Justin Turdo <laughs> says, how is a socialist dictatorship more of by and for the people than democracy with a constitution based on individual rights? Well, we have a constitution um, based on individual rights in this country. And we also have a military um, establishment with 800 military bases that, you know, has been at perpetual war and has engaged in hundreds of, uh, you know, election riggings, hundreds of assassinations. Um, we've averaged an overthrow of a government a year for the past 75 years, you know? Yeah. So, so that's what we have now and it's, and it can be better. There's, there's room for improvement. So I'm about improvement and I want to, and you know, our government isn't of before and by the people like, like everybody ought to recognize that. So we have a constitution and we, we say that we claim to these liberal values of, uh, you know, embracing individuality and the individual and protecting property rights. But that's not the key, right? Because that's actually a facade used by the ruling elite to maintain their power and to convince everybody, oh, you're free, you're free. And then they, you know, they brainwash sure. us with their nonstop, uh, you know, propaganda nonsense. Uh, yeah, but it, let, let's, let's, uh, let's uh, take the good faith uh, version of his question there and say, if we had uh, that, if we had a democracy, um, of by and for the people with a constitution based on individual rights, thou shalt not infringe my right to bear arms and my free speech and blah, blah, blah. Um, how is that not a democracy or better than a dictatorship, socialist dictatorship? Wouldn't that be more by the people and for the people if people are directly voting on like a direct democracy type situation? Or no, because the people are propagandized and dumb and don't know what's good well, for them. So, I mean, so there's an issue, right? I mean, there's an issue with, um, you know, free markets result in um, competition, right? And what does competition do? Competition results in winners and losers. And ultimately, the winners of the market competition start to amass wealth. And the more wealth they amass, 
the greater advantage they have in the marketplace. And the more wealth they amass, the more political influence they amass. And then eventually they're just going to utilize that influence like it's inevitable to take over the political power. So it's it's right. it's 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 a struggle. Which is why it's we got to get rid of political struggle. power. Um, but in China, you know, you, you've you've got billionaires, but you also have a very powerful central party that understands and their whole dialectic is about talking about what I'm talking about, that, you know, you have a rule of that. So they have five stars on their flag. The big star is the working class. The capitalists are a star and they have the petite bourgeoisie. So they have like four other stars, different classes. But they're saying, hey, we're of, by, and for the working class. That's what the big star is. And they're cognizant about the efforts of the wealthy to you know, um, to develop a political force to take political power and start running the country in right. the interest of the wealthy elites. Well, so I think you're preaching to the choir here on this one, actually, Billy Bob, because this is what I hear right wing populists say they want too, right? They they want a government that is not beholden to uh, these big corporations, the Googles, the Facebooks, the social media yeah. giants, the the big pharma companies, right? And they and they say, um, uh, you know, we we want to. Uh, a government that understands this and that restricts us and that's for us that lets us have the freedom to engage in capitalism like china get make us more like china is is what they should be uh maybe saying <laughs> what, mean, what would the well, difference be be then between a right-wing populist party and and what's happening in china because it sounds like they're essentially the same thing so <clears throat> I would first say that, you know, I, I, I'm glad we we're on agreement. And I really honestly believe, Tim, I believe that communism as I know it, everybody, like you're a communist, you just don't know it. And you've been maybe okay. a little bit confused. This is so I think you're a libertarian and just don't know it. That's the okay, assumption no, that's, I, I always go in. That's, that's, that's why this is a great discussion, because, yeah. you know, um, the way I see things, like I think I think everybody can embrace it. I think what keeps people from embracing it is, you know, this indoctrination against the word socialism, the word communism. And I think that indoctrination comes from, again, this ruling elite who have a have a vested interest in manipulating and obfuscating people's perceptions, getting them not to understand the reality, the basic reality that I'm explaining, how, you know, you end up with a, a small wealthy elite that run things in their own benefit to the detriment of everybody else. And it's our job as the people to overthrow that and implement, you know, a government that is of, for, and by the people. So China did that successfully. But the thing is, they talk about, you know, ownership and property, you know, and so, so the means of production are the things within society that society needs to exist. And so why should those things be, um, you know, um, produced and sold for profit? Isn't there maybe a better way to look at things? Hey, society needs these anyways. Maybe a better way than allowing some individual to profit off of them. We come with some system where, you know, we can, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not curtailed by that, by that process, you know, because you're really limited when you're just doing things for profit. If something's not profitable, you can't do it. But there might be a lot of great things to do that aren't necessarily profitable. But within capitalism, those things don't ever get done. And so it's just, it's just like, identifying, hey, this is this is our society. These are our needs. What are we going to do? And there's definitely a place. So China, there's definitely a place for capitalism right now and developing the economy, developing um, the productive forces. But eventually they're going to say, hey, we're going to benefit. You know, these changes that we're going to implement are going to benefit the vast majority. Now, if they don't benefit the vast majority, I would say then they're not socialist. Like what, what they're doing is wrong. And that could be for instance, a lot of Western communists that I would say aren't communists 
say China is capitalist. China's capitalist. They have not abolished the private ownership of the means of production. I reject uh, China. I reject China's socialist uh, capitalist, uh, communist party. They're no different than the U.S. And so those are the blue-haired uh, communists with often 42 genders that I that I disagree with. Um, so does that help? Does that help understand? Uh, I th I think so. <laughs> I you know I think um, you know what you're describing is is co like communism is kind of the the natural progression that occurs after a certain amount of capitalism has been uh, after capitalism and and the productivity that occurs in capitalism with people uh you know incentivized i guess by the profit motive to produce more and more and then at a certain point it just kind of naturally shifts to communism would that be fair to say or well no i mean i i would say capitalism results in um inequality uh, a wealth inequality right. and um you know a, a power inequality and then those few the wealthy few start resisting change they take political power and they are resistant to change to necessary change that benefits the people so the changes that gotcha. i think need to happen right now are an end to imperialism and into perpetual war and into our 800 military bases around the world and into sure. the western capitalist effort of dominating the globe and achieving um full spectrum dominance over the right, globe but I, I i guess what i'm getting at is in china in china yeah. which is you know um the country we're kind of talking about it's going through a capitalist phase here at, at what point does that shift then to um something like communism so so my definition my my two sentence definition of communism or socialism because i use those words interchangeably i know different people have different views you can say socialism is the transition from capitalism to communism the middle place of social that's okay too but i kind of see you know, I kind of treat those two words the same, but it, essentially it's identifying the best interests of the vast majority, identifying what, what those interests are, and then developing a strategy to pursue those interests, given an ever-changing, you know, kaleidoscope of material conditions. So those material conditions are always changing around the world and in any given society. Like material conditions are people's opinions, it's other powers in the in the in the on the planet. There's all kinds right. of you know the resources you have access to, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So the material conditions are just the um, you know, basically the context within which you are operating. But if you're a socialist, you're looking at you're trying to identify what's in the best interest of the majority, you're coming up with a plan to achieve those interests, but that plan is determined by the material conditions that exist. And it's not a dogma. It's not right. an implementation of a dogma where, hey, we're just going to abolish the, the um, ownership of the means of production. We're not going to let anybody And is, is it like, is it in your view kind of a natural progression or is it something that requires um, the imposition of an iron boot or something like that to occur? Well, I, I think, you know, under capitalism, the... the well, the in inequality... China, in China, where you have kind of a flourishing economy now, according to you, and, and things chugging along in a great progress, in large part because of the capitalism machinery that is is going, um, does that naturally shift to communism or does there does it have to be directed there by government and by force of some type? Well, it'll be interesting. Um, right now, um, you know, I, I'm not seeing any need to change. So, so 
So the way I see things, like China is doing really well. China is obviously the future. Like if you just look at economics, you know, uh, share of global market, um, you know, size, manufacturing capability, like China is the future and the West is, is undoubtedly in decline. So I think as the West declines, what China will be able to do will, will you know, the, win, the, the amount of opportunity they have to, to advance will increase. Like right now, China is dependent on the capitalist model. They're dependent on, you know, Western investment into their economy. Um, and also, you know, they're constrained by imperialism. Um, but I think China's interested in, you know, developing the underdeveloped world, whereas the United States, the West has been interested in keeping the, under, the underdeveloped world underdeveloped and exploitable, right? We haven't tried to develop those countries. We haven't tried to put in a government that's going to do the best thing for the people. No, we put in crony governments that facilitate sure. our looting of those countries. And that's how we yeah. operate. And I think China's fundamentally different. But, you know, we're just at the very beginning. Of well, I guess what I'm getting at here, Billy, is um, like I'm, I'm trying to find a point of of agreement because, look, I I would uh, you know, I actually know uh, a libertarian billionaire that moved to China, moved his kids to China, wants to raise them in China because he sees the capitalist reforms that are happening there as a um, as a, a new frontier so to speak, right there, there it's relatively unregulated from his perspective that gives him the opportunity to really, um, produce stuff and, and grow, uh, his business while at the same time, I guess he would be growing China's economy. Uh, but at a certain point, um, you know, I, and look, I think that's great. I think, you know, if we had a capitalist country, um, you know, even if they the government called themselves communists but left me alone to to run my business and do my thing and didn't you know um, tax me too hard, I would I'd be like, okay, cool, whatever, call yourself whatever you want. But at a certain point, I'm I'm looking and going, okay, is there a point where they're going to just take all my stuff and say you're an enemy of the state and uh, yeah. unless you give up everything to the greater good or something like that. Cause we're now yeah. switching to abolishing private ownership and abolishing capitalism, or is it something that occurs naturally? Cause I could see, okay, I, I think I would disagree with you that, that people would want to move to, um, I, I mean, I know people are certainly more charitable when they they're wealthier, like when they have more material abundance or more charitable. I, I came from, lived for years in a community in, in Northern Alberta called Fort McMurray, where we have uh, sitting on the oil sands, which is like, I, I think a larger oil reserve than Saudi Arabia. And so we were very, the, the community was flourishing and very well off per capita, the most charitable community in Canada, because along with that abundance comes um, a charitable spirit and wanting to share and stuff like that. People who are living in subsistence tend to not think uh, much more past survival and what am I going to do tomorrow? Uh, so so I could see things becoming more charitable, more sharing, all those kinds of things. Um, does it, does Is that kind of the natural progression to communism or is it, is it um, you know, it, well, you know, I don't think we need to worry about um, the government of China, you know, doing anything drastic to, um, you know, violate human rights of the people. Um, 
because again, I mean, the the only thing that could happen was if there, you know, there we got into a hot war with China, and then of course China is going to have to look at its own security, and you know, people who collaborate with or who oppose the government obviously are going to be, um, you know, suspects and have to be have to be dealt with because you know for sure. pragmatic self defense, but. You know, in lieu of a, not an actual war and all the prosperity that China is currently uh, enjoying, I see that you know the the transition to co communism would not would be good. Everybody is going to embrace it, and if people don't embrace it, why would the government do it? That's what I'm saying. So, right. okay. so it's you know it's about doing things. So right now, if the people are happy, why are you going to you know force some kind of a change? So the forcing of the change is only going to happen if that change is beneficial for the vast majority. Well, that's nice. Some positive comments. Some people are, are getting uh, something out of this, having a civil civil discussion here. Yeah, I, look, I, I think um, like I, I'm going to have to um, uh, get on with my day here shortly and we'll, we'll certainly carry this conversation on into the future. Um, you know, one of the things, hopeful signs I'm seeing here is, is that look, uh, we, we love, the idea that capitalism can lead to a brighter tomorrow. I think uh, what that tomorrow might look like, we might differ on, we might not differ that much on. I, I certainly could imagine people becoming more charitable and giving and sharing. Um, and so if that's the case, I, I'm all for it. As long as there's no violent coercion that gets in the way of, you know, uh, some, you know, if my flourishing has to go because of some master plan that some brainiac drew up about a, a utopian future, then I'm going to have something to say about it. But, but if, but if you, you sound, you sound like the feudalist that, that had to go, you know, yeah, yeah. you're not happy with, and, and, and what I'm saying is sometimes, you know, the entrenched powers that want to maintain a status quo that needs to be improved upon have to be dealt with with force and coercion, and I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. That's why I don't I don't see that as a universal principle that always needs to be a, a, applied. I yeah. see that sometimes, like in feudalism, we need to overthrow, and same thing right now in the U.S. Like we need to overthrow our our entrenched, um, you know. Two Were you in the Capitol on January 6th, Billy Bob? You know, Were you one of the I insurrectionists? I was very sympathetic. I was very sympathetic. Yeah, yeah I mean th those are populists, and you know. Uh, Look, a lot of lot of anti-establishment people are getting yeah. to the breaking point. We're seeing a rise in kind of violent outbursts. Even even at my work, you know, I live in a relatively peaceful province in a fairly flourishing society. But there's uh, increased mental health crises. Yeah. There's people outbursts of violence, and, and and you know, just last actually this morning there was a, a stabbing that I saw one of our crews was going to, and, and that kind of thing is, is happening more and more. Um, and, and uh, you know, the system is under a lot of pressure. It's, you get the sense that it's about to break. And um, I think Billy Bob and I both agree that what needs to come next is some unregulated capitalism to get us to a brighter tomorrow. <laughs> and maybe we can leave the, the um, a, a capitalism, Billy Bob, I will add that ha that is, um, that is governed in a way that does not give any power to the wealthy and the corporate interests that, that does, and that wields force and coercion to, you know, keep them in their place to, to combat any force and coercion 
uh, that they might okay. impose on the people. I will, hey, I will go that far with you. But. I think, I think, yeah, because that's ultimately what it is. So I can agree with that. Okay. I can, I can agree with that. I mean, oh, look at this. I think, I think we made some progress. Let's try yeah. and, uh, you know, um, think and about Billy, that. we made, we made progress without a third party pointing a gun at us and telling us we have to make progress. I just like to point that out as well. <laughs> now I'm, that's okay. That went, I'm going to have to dwell on that. All that. right. Guys, if you enjoyed the show, please leave a comment and let us know. Well, you you know, I'm seeing some encouragement yeah. out there. People liking these conversations. They're difficult conversations. Part of uh, my program, 75 hard. My muscles are getting bigger. My brain's getting bigger. Talking with Billy. Um, you know, we're putting it, we're putting in some, we're grinding it out here. So if you like that, um, here's Justin Turto. Uh, nice job, hosers. That's, that's a Canadian compliment. I've, uh, I've so. seen, uh beer the movie beer so i'm familiar with hosers <laughs> very good awesome all right guys uh make sure you subscribe make sure you share um and we'll see you uh probably within a week or two we'll do another another one of these streams all right talk to thank you, you later. so much tim i appreciate it no problem see thank you. you billy see you next time